probably know by now we're in a month of transition, a very important part of our church's history. And uh, the church is 25 years old. Amazing. 25 years. Churches are a lot like new businesses. They don't always succeed. In fact, most new businesses that start are lucky to make it for two years, and that's basically the same when it comes to churches. Many of them don't make it past the first two years. But uh, this church was built in the will of God, and it was built on a great foundation, and we're excited to be celebrating 25 years, and we plan to celebrate 25 more after that and 25 more after that, should Jesus tarry. My wife and I have had a good run for 53 years, and we're planning on going another 53. Hallelujah. (laughs) We may have to carry us into church, but we're going to be here. So our topic today is transitions. Okay, that's really an appropriate title. Thank you for that little arrow mark that you put on there. That really really made it classy. And uh, when we think of the word transition, I want to just give you a simple definition of the word transition. Transition, it means the process or period of changing from one state or condition to another. Now, this is not talking about going from Oregon to Idaho. I've done that. I've gone from Oregon to Idaho. I've gone from Oregon to uh, different parts of the world. But we're talking about a state of mind sometimes. It could include a lot of different things. Um, Life is full of changes. Did anybody ever notice that? from one thing to another. And sometimes, uh, over a period of time, we've experienced many different kinds of changes. And I know that we have people that are young here, and we have people that are older here. But uh, one thing we all have in common is we've had to work through some different changes. Some of these have been uh, out of our own choosing, and some of them have been forced upon us by other people or the circumstances of life or COVID or who knows what else. But this includes from moving one job to another, one school to another, one house to another, one city to another. In our case, we move from one country to another. And uh, all those transitions uh, carry with them their own unique challenges, their own unique experiences. I'm going to share with you one of mine. I've lived on this planet now for 74 years. I know I don't look like it. I was going to say nearly 75, but I didn't want to shock any of you. And I've been through many transitions, even though most of them have been according to the will of God. Unfortunately, some of them weren't, but some of them were easy, and some of them were very, very challenging, because we tend to get used to life as we know it. One of the most traumatic, or maybe I could say the most dramatic transitions happened in my life quite a number of years ago before I became a Christian. It was when I was dwelling in darkness, and in that particular time, I found myself in a very dark place. I felt like the walls of the world were closing in on me. seemed like no matter what I tried to do, it felt as though I was swimming in thick oil. Anybody ever been there before? Everything was a struggle. I was getting nowhere. I felt trapped. I didn't know which way to turn. Well, in this dark place, suddenly, things started to change. Even though I was still in the dark, I felt like there was movement in a positive direction. My situation began to turn around, and I could see a ray of light, and I began to follow it. Even though it was an unfamiliar way for me, 
I felt like I was being squeezed like a vice, but at the same time, I felt like something was about to happen. A new day was about to dawn. At this point, I did the smart thing. I chose not to stay in the dark place and to move to the direction of the light. And as I did, the light got brighter the closer I got to it. It was a totally new path for me. At this moment, I can honestly say I had never experienced that kind of clarity ever before. All of a sudden, the light became brilliant, and I felt like I could breathe as never before. I had a new vision. I could see things that I'd never seen them before. It was then that I felt a distinct slap on my back and a voice behind me saying, It's a boy. Well, that was a difficult transition. <laughs> From my comfort zone into this world. But I did make it, as many of you did. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here today. So it wasn't something new for you. Well, transitions is what we're talking about. How many did I, how many did I get on that? Did I get anybody on that? Okay. Just two. All right. I need to improve that. I need to improve that. Today we're looking at this text in Luke chapter 5, verse 39. And it says this in the New King James, And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires the new, for he says, the old is better. Or the New Living says it this way, But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Who's they? We are they. <laughs> the old, sometimes we, uh, we feel like, well, what we've experienced, what we've had, we tend to resist all change. We tend to like what we're used to. How many are with me on that? We tend to like the settled, the proven, the time-tested, over what's new, the unfamiliar, the slightly messy, that requires faith, change, and growth. And if you're like me, you know, I, I have to be prodded into change. And thankfully, I have a wife who's willing to do that. <laughs> prodded into change. Now, sometimes it's the Holy Spirit that does the prodding. Sometimes it's my friends who do the prodding. And sometimes it's my own conscience that does the prodding. But uh, we tend to like things the way they are, unless there was some sort of a disturbance in the atmosphere, we might not do anything different than what we're doing. God has a way of kind of stirring up the nest, if you will, and making us uncomfortable in the place where we were. Why? Because he has a plan. His plan is progressive. Transition implies change. When we speak of transition, we're talking about change in the sense that uh, we're going to move from one place to another. Some of those changes are what I would call major changes, and some of them are minor changes. Moving from the known to the unknown, from comfort to uncomfort, from the uh, things that are familiar to the things that are unfamiliar. One of the things that separates human beings from all the other animals on the planet is that they have the ability to adapt to their environment. You don't see a whole lot of lions in the Arctic. You don't see a lot of penguins in the Serengeti. Why? Because they can't adapt to that. Human beings, because of our intelligence, because of our soul, uh, the realm, the spirit of God, even dwelling within us, we have the ability to actually 
live in almost any environment if we, by the use of our technology, by the use of our ingenuity. And so you have human beings on every corner of the planet. Well, we understand that from the natural, but the truth is we can also do that in the spirit realm. So in every corner of the earth, we have people. Kevin Connor used to say this in transition. He was one of my mentors and teacher. He said, in transition, it's best to go by these three, three words. Be flexible, be adaptable, and be adjustable. And maybe we could add, be available. Those would pretty well guide us through just about everything because we are, we are going to be stretched. We are going to be changed. We are going to be making some unfamiliar movements. Here's some other quotes about change that I thought might help us today. Here's one from a, a Greek philosopher who lived over 500 year, years ago. There is nothing permanent except change. You've heard that one before. That's the only thing we can count on is that things are going to change. My, wife, my mom's favorite verse was, this too shall pass. Well, that can be something good and that can be something bad. All we know for sure is that things are going to change. Socrates said this, a good friend of mine from way back, the secret of change is to focus all your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. How many think that's good advice? Sometimes we tend to focus on the past. We focus on what we're losing and not necessarily on what we're gaining. We focus on, you know, what we won't have, but not focusing on what we will have. And so we need to focus, instead of trying to wrestle with the old ways, we need to give place a little bit to the new. Albert Einstein, one of my mentors, he helped me with my math when I was in school, even though he flunked math. He said, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. And why, why are things invented? Because we're not accepting maybe the way it was. We're, we're looking for new answers. We're looking for new solutions to some of these old problems. An American journalist by the name of Sidney Harris said this, our dilemma is that we hate change and love it at the same time. What we really want is for things to remain the same but get better. <laughs> and, of course, you all know that slang. You keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's the definition of insanity. Expect a different result. I want things to get better, but I want to change. But wait a minute. You can't have it both ways. Or another quote here from an American inventor, Charles Ketterling. Ketterling he said, people are very open-minded about new things as long as they're exactly like the old ones. That's like every time I get updated on my computer or something, I liked it the old way. Takes me a long time to get used to the new way, just in time for a new thing to come out, and all of a sudden I'm lost again. But after a while, you begin to appreciate the, the travel. And here's another quote from Peter Stang, Stange, probably, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he was an American system scientist. He said, people don't resist change, they resist being changed. How many can identify with that? And I think that's kind of the crux of the matter. We start seeing change down the road, and we, we embrace it to an certain extent until it begins to affect us personally. And... Uh, well, I would like everybody else to change if they had just leave me alone. I agree with what everybody's doing, but just don't rock my boat. 
Don't make me change. Don't let me be the answer. Some of the Bible words relating to transition include things like change, growth, progress, transformation, advancement, development, maturation, increase. These are all Bible concepts. God is not too much excited about being static, remaining in one place. He's constantly prodding us forward. Why? Because he has a plan for our lives. He has an eternal purpose that he's trying to accomplish through the ages. There's something that he's working for, not just in our life, but in the life of the church and in the life of the community and the life of our nation and the life... There's a progressive march toward the second coming of Christ. And there are some things that God wants to see happen in that process. And certainly he wants us to be a part of that. But if we're going to be a part of that, we've got to embrace some of these words that can be very challenging to us. Here we've got Isaac and Noel here going to Detroit. You say, didn't you like it here? Oh, yeah, we love it here. But God's working something in our life that's forcing us to get out of our comfort zone. And the more they think about it, the more we realize how uncomfortable they're going to be. <laughs> it's nice not to have all the information right at the beginning. But <clears throat> that's the way God tricks us, by the way. When he's showing us the land, he shows us the best of the land, the big grapes and all that stuff. He doesn't show us the giants, okay? So anyway, he tricked them into getting there. And, uh, but they'll thank him one day. It just won't be this next year. <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. <laughs> I said I've lived for 74 years, didn't I? <clears throat> Here's some scriptures. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are changed from glory to glory. Now, see, that's, that's a progressive thing. There's one glory, and then there's a, a higher glory. And then there's even a better glory than that. It's like new cars coming up, right? No, it, we, 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 God's progressing. It's always in a positive movement. It's always to something better. Yes, I'm going to take that away from you, but I'm going to give you even something better. Well, how can that be possible? I'm so, I'm so happy with what I've got. Well, let's wait and see. Ephesians 4.15 says we are to grow up into him in all things. Not some things. I surrender some. No, we can't sing that. I surrender all. Okay, anybody out there still have some work to do? I always say the biggest room in anybody's, everybody's house is the room for improvement, right? And some of you literally, I'm speaking of Mark here now, has literal rooms in his home that need some improvement, right, Mark? He's in, a, he's in a restoration project that could actually come right up to the second coming of Christ. I'm not sure. <laughs> and that's what his wife's thinking right now. She said, wow. <sighs> This is, this is exhausting. I'm tired of doing dishes in the bathtub. <laughs> I mean, literally. Um, so, grow up in all things. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, we are we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So as we grow in God and as we allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in us, we're starting to think more and more like Jesus. We're starting to understand more and more that Je- about God and His ways and and uh, it's a progressive thing. And hopefully, when you put your finger down in your life at any juncture that you're at, you're in a better place today than you were last year. 
Not necessarily in the aches and pains department, I can tell you that for certain, but for sure in our spiritual relationship to the Lord and His purposes in our life. 1 Thessalonians 4.10 says we are to increase more and more. That's what his prayer for the people was. I pray that you would increase more and more. I don't think he was talking about weight there. I think he was talking about other things in the spirit realm. 2 Corinthians 10.15, our faith is to continue to grow. 2 Peter 3.18, we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of him. And so the walk with God is a progressive walk, on and on, deeper and deeper, more and more, right up until we meet the Lord, whether it be through the grave or whether it be his second coming. Somebody says, are we, are we getting close to the second coming? Or are we getting close to the end of the world? I usually say, I don't think so, but I think we can see it from here. You understand what I'm saying? A, a scripture that kind of capsulizes this is in Philippians chapter 116, especially from the Amplified, or as I call it, the multiple choice version. It says, I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. This is not one of those tests. This is not one of those assignments where we get done early. Well, Pastor Bob always talks about the 20-day or 30-day fast he went on, and he, he, he was so fast on that fast that he finished it in 20 days. It doesn't work that way necessarily with our lives. This is a process that we're in that's going to continue right up until you either meet the Lord through the grave or in the air. So why is it that people resist change? Well, there are several reasons. First of all, we resist change because we love the way things are. If we didn't love the way things are, we wouldn't settle to where we're at. Secondly, we, we resist change because we love the security of the familiar. It's like people who enjoy what they call comfort food. How many know what comfort food is? When you're in a bad mood and life's, you know, Given you lemons, you you get out the mashed potatoes and the and whatever it is, roast beef or whatever it is, and whatever your comfort food happens to be. I think for some it's mac and cheese, and for others, but it's always bad for you. I mean, come on now, really. Get out the comfort food. I want to be comfortable. But the same can happen really in the whole area of life and living. We could just choose comfort over, over trying new things. I know. A lot of times I travel to other countries, and, and when I sometimes travel with other people. And when I go to other countries like India and Indonesia and Malaysia and Japan and these places, I always like to try the national foods. I, want to, I don't want to try what I can get in an American restaurant at home, but I'll travel with people. They'll be in Japan, and they'll say, do you have any American hamburgers? Well, they don't do them like we do here, so... That isn't always the same. I went to Jamaica one time and with, with a team of people, and, and this one place was advertising to all the tourists, American hamburgers, American hamburgers, American hamburgers. Well, we'd been in that country for three months, and so everybody thought, this is a good idea. Let's go get an American hamburger. Well, we realized it wasn't an American hamburger. It wasn't American beef. I don't know if it was roadkill or whatever it was, but it definitely was not. My wife would have been picking out gristle all afternoon if she had 
got one of those burgers. But sometimes we resist that. I, I think it adds flavor to be able to see whatever the people eat. Sometimes it burns like crazy, like in India. You find out when they say it's hot, uh, their definition of hot is, is more akin to our hellfire and brimstone. Oh, this is mild. Okay, their word mild does not mean the same thing as it does in our language. I'm telling you that right now. Oh, we serve this food to Americans. Okay, well, that's good. I'll take it. Um, but anyway, I just don't give me one of your hamburgers. Um, we, we resist trying new things because we're safe. We like that security. Oh, I'll just go with what I know. Well, I've never been in this restaurant before, but I've heard that this is good, or I've had this before, and so I'm going to stick with it. Well, I want to branch out. I was with, out, out with lunch with another guy the other day, and we were having lunch together, and the last time we ordered the same thing, and we both really loved it. So he decided to order the same thing again. I said, well, I think I'm going to branch out and see what else they got here on this menu and, and see what else they have. Maybe I like something even more. I don't know until what? You tried it. <laughs> oh, it's like I come to people and say, well, I don't like that. Your kids do this all the time. I don't like that. What do you mean you don't like that? Well, I, I don't like it. Well, you don't like the idea of it? Have you ever tasted it? Well, no, but I, I know I wouldn't like it. Well, let's taste and see. Maybe we will. We also resist change number three because we may personally have to change and adapt. It's all right if everybody else has changed as long as I don't have to change. We tend to get in our little ruts. That's why they call them ruts because they're paths that we walk in regularly. And uh, this is making me a little bit uncomfortable to talk this way. Sometimes we're doing things in church now that we stare at each other. This is kind of uncomfortable. You're getting a little bit personal, aren't you? Can you just leave me alone? And I think I need to go to the bathroom right now. Number four, we resist change because we aren't sure how we will fit into the new order of things. When I was in high school, I played football, and, and uh, when I was in my freshman and sophomore year, I uh, played on varsity football, played four years of varsity, but uh, we had a coach in the first two years that was like an awesome coach. In fact, he left after two years and was invited to come to a, a major uh, school in Texas, college in Texas, became well-known nationally as a, as a coach. I had the privilege of having him for two years, and when he left, we got this other coach who was like an unknown commodity. And I'm thinking to myself, now, this coach had me doing this. He had me doing that. He had me doing other. Will this other coach even want me on the team, you know? And there was a lot of insecurities going on there because it was kind of like you had to kind of retry out again like you'd never been on the team before. And uh, for some people, they, they didn't stay in the same position. I was wondering, am I going to stay in the same position? Am I going to do the same things? Am I going to be playing offense? Am I going to play in defense? What am I going to be playing, or am I not going to be playing at all and just warming the bench? So sometimes when we go through these things, we have all kinds of, of things going on in our mind. And, of course, the devil likes to amplify that to keep the insecurities flying. Here's a, here's a quote from a German teacher, Eckhart Tolle. Toll or however you say it. I never met him. Uh, 
I don't even know if he's alive, but this is, he said something that was really good. Some changes look negative on the surface, but you will soon realize, listen to this, that space is being created in your life for something new to emerge. Wow. There's some guys that I was playing football with, if that new coach hadn't come in, they would have been in that same position for four years. But when the new coach in, he saw something in them that was uniquely different. He said, I want you to try this. Oh, I don't know anything. I want you to try it. And when he did, he became a real star in that particular area. He never would have tried that without the change. He never would have even attempted it without the change or the new eyes of a new coach. And sometimes in our life, God is creating some space that we wouldn't normally even go after or think we would qualify for. And I think there's going to be a lot of movement from one space to another in the days ahead. Here's some facts of transition that all of us need to face. Number one, change happens because no leader will last forever. No leader will lead forever. So here we are in a church where we're transitioning leadership. Well, no one can lead forever. Much as I loved Pastor Iverson, uh, there was a time when it was right for him to step away. I hate the word step down because there's no stepping down in the kingdom of God. We are, we are doing the will of God, and it's always progress, even though apparently it seems like a demotion. It's not. It's just transitioning to a new, different authority, to a new level of one sort or another. Change is, in, is inevitable. No matter how hard you try to push it away, the clock keeps ticking. And someday, you know, all, all of us are going to have to deal with things we'd just rather not deal with. Another fact of change is that, number two, change happens because there is a new generation to be reached. It's not going to be me, necessarily, that reaches a new generation. I don't think it's probably good to have a 74-year-old youth pastor, for instance, or even a youth facilitator, for that matter. No, I'm not going to facilitate the youth. Certainly won't facilitate them to dance like we did this morning, because that's no longer part of my repertoire. But I have a pastor friend. He's actually celebrating his 40th anniversary this this season and transitioning to a new leadership team. And uh, a few years ago, he noticed that the church was graying slightly. Not that that's bad. We want people to live in the church for a long, long time. But at the same time, he realized that there's not a lot of youth and all the people that have been here have been for, here for a long time. Not a lot of new people coming in. And so he, he made a decision with the elders that we're going to do some things, tweak some things in our church that will make us more attractive to a younger set, a younger group of people. And he said, if we don't do this, we will only be one generation church. We will only last for one generation. And I've been to churches like that. I, I used to be part of the Lutheran church. And and I was I raised in this Lutheran church. My dad was an elder in that church for 30 years, and I grew up in that church, and that's where they uh, 
encouraged me to go into uh, becoming a Lutheran pastor, and and they they would they would uh, they would treat me like uh, the homecoming queen whenever I was around because I was they hadn't had a they hadn't had a pastor from their church in how many ever years that it existed, and uh, so I was like the golden boy. But as I I ended up <laughs> disappointing them all and leaving the church, but when I came back years later. Uh, I walked into the church, and everybody was so old. I was in my 50s, and they called me Sonny. So you know how old that was. I was the youngest person around. Well, that's what happens if if you don't get, bring in young people, you don't bring in young couples and so forth. And so he made some adjustments. Well, not all of the older people liked it. Why? Not that they're, quote, set in their ways. Well, maybe the music was louder than they wanted it, or maybe it was not quite as, it was maybe more lively, or, or this and that and the other thing, and, and some of those things. Uh, what are we becoming, a youth movement now? Well, we had to talk to the youth, too, to tone it down a little bit when they were in, in with the uh, older set. But at the same time, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an awareness that we have to have that is bigger than our own personal preferences, and that is getting a kingdom viewpoint, the eternal purpose of God, it moves forward, and God wants a church that will move from generation to generation. A third fact of change is that change happens because of changing demographics. Our our neighborhood changes. I look at the neighborhood we were in when we were back in, 19, in 1972 on Gleason Street in Portland at Bible Temple in the day. We lived in that neighborhood. And I look at it now, it's completely different than it was then. So are we going to reach our metron? Are we going to reach our area? As a, are we a community church or are we a church, that, a destination church that people drive from all over creation, but they don't, any, nobody lives there? Well, if you're going to, if you're going to be a, a community church that reaches the people around you, there's obviously some shifts that have to be made in order to be able to do that. A fourth fact of change is change happens because the church is created for the long haul till the return of Jesus, and change is a natural progression of life. They say a fossil is a creature who failed to make the change or the transition. So change, clinging to the past is a sure formula for death. What makes our transition, now we're going to get real personal here, what makes our transition challenging? We'll talk about what makes it great, special in a minute. What makes it challenging? Well, Bob and Sue are the only lead pastors that this church has known. And that's a good thing. Yeah, a few years ago, I did a study of tenure of pastors in churches and Many of the denominations uh, have a very short tenure. Uh, one of them was the Assembly of God at the time. I checked it out, and they, their average tenure of a pastor was two years. Can you imagine going through that? Every two years we get a new papa or whatever. Well, it obviously wasn't a papa. Here, it's, a, it's kind of like a spiritual mother and father. They've, they started the church. They, they've, they've been the principal feeders of the church, and, and that's a good thing. But at the same time, if you were part of this other church, you'd be so used to change, it wouldn't bother you anymore. I remember being in the Lutheran church, and I didn't have that many pastors, but I had probably four or five in my uh, tenure there. And it's just like, this is just how it happens. You don't get so personally attached. And 
In some cases, pastors just always stay at arm's length. How many of you know Pastor Bob and Sue have not stayed at arm's length? They've been very touchable, been very reachable. They've been very much involved in everybody's life. Another thing that makes the transition challenging is we love and admire and respect Bob and Sue very much. And so if we, if we hated them, bye. You know, the best view of them is in the rearview mirror. No, that's not how we feel about it. We all love them and respect them very highly. And then uh, the third thing that makes it challenging is Peter and Tamar are completely different people in gifting, style, and personality. There's a scripture that comes back to mind. The old is better. Well, not necessarily. Got to give it a chance. So what makes our transition special? Well, Bob and Sue aren't going anywhere. <laughs> okay, they're, they're part of this family. You know, when, when we build churches in MFI, we're talking about communities. We're talking about families. We're talking about the Lord adding. We're talking about, you know, it being a little bit more than just a club that we all have registered for. Second thing that makes it special is we're receiving a new lead pastor who is not an unknown commodity. Lots of times when churches have to get a new pastor for one reason or another, sometimes they passed away, sometimes they fell in sin, sometimes there's other reasons. Maybe they just resigned for one reason or another, or they just got too old to pastor. They, they try to bring in another pastor. Oftentimes it's from the outside, and they have no clue what that pastor is really like. Oh, he comes, or she comes, whoever it might be. They give their best three sermons that they've been saving for such an occasion. And we're enamored. Oh, they're a great speaker. They're a great speaker. How many of those know a little bit more to pastoring than speaking? I think we're past that in this church. Otherwise, you wouldn't have me speaking here today. So that's, that's the reality of it. Uh, so we have an, a real edge there because we know Pastor Peter and Tamar, they've lived with us for, well, Peter, as long as this church has existed, and Tamar, a very long time as well. Another thing that makes it special is our church is not just built on one person. It's a family. It's a community of believers. I don't tend, attend this church just to see Pastor Bob, although that's probably one of the main reasons I, I had when I first came here, because he invited me to come. But now, when I gather at City Harvest Church, I come to see Rod, come to see Vicki, Aaron, Tim, Brad, Fred, Laura, Robert, Jeremiah, Logan, Scott, Pete, Jason, Ron, Tamar, Darcy. There you are right there. Elizabeth, Janice, Brittany, Regina, Michelle, maybe even you. <laughs> ben, okay. We don't just come because of who's on the platform or who's leading. We come because we are a spiritual family that God is bringing together. And yeah, it's sad to see sometimes maybe somebody passes away or they have to they leave for some reason. And even with Pastor Isaac or Isaac going uh, to Detroit, he's still when he's back here, he's still going to be part of this family. And so uh, it isn't like okay, that isn't always the case. Some churches are built on more of a platform kind of a mentality where it's all about who's, who's the speaker, who's the preacher. And then the fourth thing here, what makes our transition special, is our church is not built on one kind of ministry. We believe in apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. 
Yes, Bob has his particular gift mix, but you know what? We have all those gift mixes in our church right here. We have every ministry of the body of Christ right here. If we believe in body ministry, then we've got everything we need. We've got guys like Skyler over there staring at me now, wondering if ever we're going to be done. Uh, well, that's his place right there because he's a musician and he's getting ready to come up right now. Thank you, Tyler. Skyler. <clears throat> so let me just give a pastoral challenge here at the end. I know I'm not your pastor, but I want to be. But Pete got it before I did. No, but <clears throat> this is my, I, I put down seven-fold challenge, but I had to add one this morning, so it's eight-fold challenge. Eight in the Bible is a number of new beginnings, so I don't know what I was thinking with just seven. So let me just give them to you real quick, and it will be real quick. This is a word for all of us, including myself. Number one, embrace the will of God. This is something that everybody's prayed into heavily. The elders and leaders of the church have prayed into heavily. The staff of the church has prayed into heavily. I know you have prayed into heavily. I know Pastor Bob and Sue, above all, have prayed into heavily. And uh, this is the will of God for City Harvest Church. Embrace it. Number two, give God a chance. Don't just cut and run. Give God a chance. You may actually, eventually, perchance, like some of the changes. And things will change just because time marches on. Number three, stay involved. Now, I was going to play football. I didn't know for sure what position I was going to play, but I was going to be involved as, as long as they would let me be involved. So stay involved. Number four, remain committed. That would be in attendance and tithing and, and involvement in prayer, all those things. Number five, put yourself in the shoes of your leaders. Understand the insecurities that they might be feeling. Pastor Bob's been doing one thing for 25 years, and now things are going to shift. Pastor Pete, he's saying, well, they lovely, love me like they did Bob and Sue. Will they treat me the same way? And, and will anybody come to church after the transition? I was afraid they were going to announce that I was speaking today because I wasn't sure who was going to show up. Those are the insecurities that leaders have. I knew, I knew Chad and Tay would come because they have to or I'll kill them. But apart from that, my wife had to come because she said she still wants to live in the house. <laughs> no, not really. She lets me live there. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, no, number six is be open to personal change. There's a lot of things that I, I'm having to learn all afresh. Different way of thinking about things. Different th way of doing things. Some of them are comfortable, some of them are not very comfortable. I'd just rather not change, right? Number seven, see the bigger picture. What God is doing in the big sense, not in a personal sense, not in even uh, my little group's sense. What is God doing in the eternal purpose of God, and what is he trying to accomplish? And then number eight would be pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders, that they will all respond well, that they will all uh, pull together as a team and blend together as a unit, which I, I know is happening. You know, Pastor Pete's really been doing the background work in this church for almost four years. 
And uh, more and more each year, he's added more and more and more until he's done everything but preach every other Sunday. And so um, it's not, it's, nothing's going to shift majorly. Uh, over time, everything does. So take the advice of Oprah. <clears throat> One of my favorite biblical scholars... who has something to say about everything, whether she knows anything about it or not. The greatest discovery of all time, are you anxious now to know what that is? The greatest discovery of all time is that a person can change his future by merely changing his attitude. I agree with that. I don't often say that I agree with Oprah, but I will say that today. Remember a number of years ago when uh, Dick Iverson was stepping down as a senior pastor of City Bible Church, and Pastor Frank Damasio was coming in as the pastor. My parents had migrated to Bible Temple at when, when, when my wife and I were there from the Lutheran Church. He served his sentence, I mean, served his time there, and, and they migrated over because they loved the teaching, they loved Pastor Iverson, and they... they uh, became very, very faithful in the church there. And uh, when he, my dad really loved Pastor Iverson. And so when Pastor Frank came in, Frank was a lot different than Pastor Iverson, as you many of you know. And on this Sunday that he was installed, Pastor Frank was installed, my dad went up to him intentionally after the service. And he said to him, I just want you to know, just as we have served Brother Dick, we used to call him Brother Dick or Pastor Iverson, we will give ourselves to you and your leadership. That's my dad. He was probably close to 80 at that time. And it was similar to what the people said to Joshua when he came to take the place of Moses. How, how difficult would that be? I mean, he hadn't, you know opened up any rocks and gushing water or anything like that. But they said to him in Joshua 1.17, just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. I learned from my dad how you respond in situations that you don't necessarily have control over, but you're part of it. You see, I'm going to embrace this as the will of God. It's not about, my dad showed me that it's not about who the person is. It's not about your personal mood or opinion about something. It's about your own character and who you are and the kind of person you are. My dad was a very faithful man. He was faithful to all the pastors that he served under while he was in the Lutheran church. Some pastors, you know, would be tough. Had one pastor that I believe was an alcoholic. And he'd stand at the door of the church smoking cigarettes because he could barely get out time to have one. Well, but he was as faithful to him as he was to the other pastor that he liked a lot. It has to do with our character. So I'm just encouraging just during this month, let's celebrate. Let's have a great time. Let's honor the past. Look forward to the future with expectancy. Let's realize we're a spiritual family. We're one. And God's going to help us together. Can you say amen? amen. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to...
I hope that's I hope that's uh, clapping because not because I'm done, but because you can't wait until they put me in the pulpit again, which I'm sure is the case. Wow.